All right. So, <clears throat> we are starting our uh, week two of the series on the Song of Solomon. And, uh, and I'm really excited about this. You know, I was going through the details of chapter one after we hit the introduction. And what you have in front of you is um, a lot. It's a lot. So there's going to be some things that we're not going to really go through. But here's my challenge to you guys. This is not a study that you can just hear on a Sunday morning and just move on. It's not. This is one of those studies that if you truly desire to have a close relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to really spend some time on this material. I really do. It's going to require you guys to take some time during the week. So I don't know like what you guys normally do with your daily devotions or whatever, but if you are willing to put some time in and like let's say you know, instead of doing your normal routines on Monday and Tuesday, or maybe if you have a study hall and you've got some time to read, pull out these notes and start just really thinking <coughs> about them and really working them through. I will tell you, it is going to blow your mind and it is going to change your relationship with God. I promise you. I promise you. But you've got to do it. There's going to be so much that I'm going to give you, but you've, this is something you have to meditate on. This is something that you're going to have to really chew on. And it's going to be the same week after week after week, okay? So this is not going to be a normal study. And I really want you guys to get this because we're going to go deep on some things, but they are heart matters. In the book of Proverbs, when it talks about the heart, it talks about how the heart of man is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. When you get into heart issues, they can be complex. They can be very gray. They're not very black and white. And when it deals with these things, God is going to touch you guys and in your heart in a very unique and special way. But it can't just be on Sundays. It can't. You've got to take this with you throughout the week, okay? So if we're going to do this, you've got to do your part. And I'm telling you, you can get more out of this study during the week than you will ever get by me teaching it to you on Sunday morning. That's what I mean, okay? So this is going to be a little bit different than maybe what you're used to. Um, but that's one, one of the things I wanted to share with you. Take these things with you and really chew on them throughout the week. All right, so if you haven't done so already, go ahead and open up to the book of Song of Solomon. And we're going to be covering chapter 1. We'll see how far we can get. The plan is, is to do the entire chapter this morning, uh, but there's a lot that we really need to talk about. So let's go ahead and get moving. <clears throat> All right, so chapter 1, chapter 1. So the whole point of this study is developing a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and how the Song of Solomon is the perfect book for that. And so chapter 1, we have the bride's love for the king. That's kind of the theme of this particular chapter. Now, that's the whole book, but we're looking at different aspects of their relationship. So when you look at the chapter, there are really three basic applications to this chapter. Historically, it's describing the bride's love for the king. So you have the Shulamite bride and you have King Solomon, right? Doctrinally, this is talking about the lordship of Christ over the church in Israel. Now, what do I mean by that? When I say the lordship of Christ, what does that mean? Anybody, anybody? What does that mean, the lordship of Christ? Come on. Anybody? Somebody? What do we got? Go ahead. Okay, yeah, that's a good start. So he's the husband of the church. What do you mean by the lordship? Yeah, authority. authority, absolutely. He's the one that's in charge. That everyone is submissive to his authority. 
Now, in a lot of Christians' lives, Jesus is their Savior, but he's not their Lord. Now, And that's totally possible. There are some Christians that are out there that, that don't believe that's possible. They don't think that you can be saved and he can't be your Lord. What we mean by that is that Christ can give you salvation, but when your life is completely submissive to his authority in your life, you do whatever he tells you to do. I, I think of the verse in Luke where it talks about, you know, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. That's probably one of the best verses I can think of in, in relation to what does that mean. When Jesus speaks and he tells you to do something, you do it. So in your life, if Jesus tells you to do something, which means in his word, because that's how he speaks to us, and then you don't do it, then you are acting like he's not your Lord. Now, he is, but it deals with your heart attitude. So that's what we mean. So doctrinally, this is talking about the lordship of Christ over the church and of Israel. And I will tell you, it is much easier to follow someone's lead when they love you. Right? I mean, have you ever had, I've had this happen. I've had poor teachers in school who really didn't care about me at all. And it was very hard to respect them. It was very hard to obey them. But when it comes to people in my life that actually cared about me, it was very easy to follow their lead. Very easy. And that's how this works with Jesus Christ. He is very easy to follow because he loves me. And he, he cares for me. And so even though he asks me to do things that are difficult, I'm still willing to do it because he loves me. And that's what we're talking about. Devotionally, this is talking about our pursuit of Christ and Christ drawing us to himself. So those are the three basic applications on that. And we're going to be focusing mostly on the devotional aspect on here. All right. So chapter 1, verse 1. Someone read that one. 1-1. One, one. Kent, take it. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Okay, so we hit this last week. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Now, in 1 Kings 4, 32, remember how many songs he wrote? Anybody? Well, that was the Proverbs, right? Let's take a look at it. Go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings. So hold your spot in Song of Solomon and go over to 1 Kings. And might as well stay in 1 Kings. So hold them both places because we'll be going back and forth a little bit. So 1 Kings chapter 4. First Kings 4, 32. Oh, you guys weren't off. For some reason I had it mixed up in my mind. All right. 1 Kings 4, 32. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. His songs were 1,005. So out of 1,005 songs, this one is the song of songs. So as we look at this, this is the song of all songs from the King of Kings. And that's why Solomon is a great picture of Jesus Christ. And because God put this in the Bible like this, then we know that this is his song to us. It's the song of all songs that God could ever write, and it's from the King of Kings. All right, so out of the five wisdom books, Solomon wrote three of them. I don't know if you knew that, but he wrote three of them. You have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Now, when you look at three, these three books, this is really interesting. Proverbs is likely written during the apex of his reign. So we're in 1 Kings. Pop over to chapter 3 and take a look at verse 5. So verse 5 begins that moment where he's talking to God and it says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And remember what he asked for? Wisdom. He asked for wisdom because he wanted to rule God's people rightly. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for long life. He asked for wisdom. He knew that God's people needed to be ruled wisely and he knew he didn't have the ability to do it. And so he asked God for wisdom. And God gave him all those other things because... 
God honored his request. God loved what he asked for, and God gave him wisdom. And so this really shows the, the apex of his reign where he begins to build things up, but it's because of the wisdom that God gave him is the reason why he was able to write a book like the book of Proverbs. Now, Ecclesiastes, what's the tone of Ecclesiastes? I mean, when you read Ecclesiastes, you want to you want to, you want to die. <laughs> it's a very depressing book because he's like, all right, so if you want to live a fulfilled life, this is what I did, and it was nothing. And this is what I did, and it amounted to nothing. And this is what I had, and it amounted to nothing. And so basically, you're at the end of the book, you're like, ah, what's the point of even being alive? And he's like, all right, hold on. Let's hear the whole conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. I mean, that's the tone of the book. It's a very depressing book, but there's a lot of things you can learn from there. Because there's mistakes that he made that you don't have to make if you're willing to read what happened and then what happened as a result in his life. So this really talks about the downward spiral of his reign. He likely wrote Ecclesiastes towards the, towards the tail end of his reign. Go over to 1 Kings 10. So 1 Kings 10, you've got the Queen of Sheba, and things are cooking, and he's like, I mean, making major banks, and he has everything you can possibly think of. And then what's interesting is verse 14 is where things start to go downhill. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600, three score, and six talents of gold. What number is that? 666. Is that ironic? No. That is a type that God puts in the Bible because he wants that number to stand out because of what the Antichrist is going to do at the later point in human history. So 666. And then after all this, you have a few other things. And you have the 12 lions, six on one side, six on the other, and six steps. So even his own throne, you had six lions, six steps, and six lions. 666. And then in chapter 11, look at verse 1. But Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, woman of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. So that led to his downfall. That led to his complete downfall. And then you have the Song of Solomon, which some people believe that the Song of Solomon was written at the very end of his reign because it was kind of his repentance and coming back to God. I've heard that and I've seen that. And that would follow within the realm of Revelation 2.5. Anyone know that verse? The Church of Ephesus. What did Jesus tell the Church of Ephesus? They've left their first love. And what are they supposed to do? Repent. Go back and do the first works. Go back and do the first work. So that would fit. I actually think it happened, it was written at the beginning of his reign. And the reason why I think that is go to 1 Kings chapter 1. And this is just my opinion. This is not something that I can clearly um, tell you definitively. But this is just my opinion. In chapter 1. Verse 1, Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. Wherefore his servant said unto him, Let there be sought for my lord the king a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie in thy bosom, 
that my lord the king may get heat. So he didn't have the ability to produce heat. He was dying and on his deathbed. So they sought for a fair damsel throughout all the coasts of Israel and found Abishag, a Shunammite. Okay, that's really close to Shulamite. But it says Shunammite. Now, this is something that's common in the Bible. Sometimes people's names, they're replaced with like one letter. This happens. Nebuchadnezzar, that happened. In the Bible, he has two names. It's Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know why, but God did that for whatever reason. It's the same dude. So here you have a virgin, fair, who's going to minister unto the king, and her name is Abishag, and she is a Shunammite. Okay? And brought her to the king. Verse 4, And the damsel was very fair, and cherished the king, and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. Which means he did not have sex with her. Okay? So she, he, she wasn't like a, a concubine or a wife of his. This was just a young damsel, a virgin, who was caring for an old man before he died. This is sweet. This is really, really sweet. And it says um, that she cherished the king. Did you see that in verse 4? She loved him. She cared about him. She took care of him. I mean, have you ever taken care of someone who's old and on their deathbed? It's not easy. It takes a lot of love and a lot of care. I mean, when you have to take them to the bathroom, when you have to help them clean up after using the bathroom, when you have to help them get a shower or a bath or a sponge bath, it takes time. you got to help them move. This is a special woman. This is a very special woman who would be willing to do something like that. So that tells me something about her. That tells me something great about her. Now, let me show you something else. Go over to chapter, let's see here. Um, okay, let's see here. Um, all right. I thought I put it down somewhere else, but it was part of my part of my notes. Go over to chapter two. Go over to chapter two. So after chapter two, um, in chapter one, I'll just give you a little nutshell. There's a moment where uh, Solomon's brother ends up taking the throne. And um, Solomon uh, was the one that, that David said he's supposed to take the throne. And so Bathsheba comes in, and she ends up telling David it's supposed to be Solomon. And so David makes it right. Solomon becomes king. And Abishag was there during that process. And then in chapter 2, there's an interesting thing that takes place here. So um, you have Adonijah. So look at verse 13. So you have verse 12. Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. And Adonijah, the son of Haggith came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. Now, Adonijah was the one who took the throne. So before David died, Adonijah went out and he tried to take the throne. He tried to take the kingdom. He was the oldest, and he felt it was his right. Technically, it was. And he went and tried to take the throne. But David said, Solomon is supposed to take the throne. Now, that caused a huge conflict. David ended up saying, Nope, Solomon gets it. I want you to go out and make this pronouncement. He's supposed to ride on my mule, wear my garments, sit on my throne, and Israel knows that Solomon is supposed to be the king. So, is Adonijah going to like this? No, absolutely not. But can he do anything about it? No. So, it is what it is. And so, here he approaches Bathsheba, Solomon's mom, and he has a question. Verse 14. He said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee, and she say, Say on. And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about, and has become my brother's 
for it was his from the Lord. So he recognized that. And now I ask one petition of thee, deny me not. And she said unto him, say on. And he said, speak, I pray thee unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee nay. So he's not going to tell you no. He loves you, ma. He loves his mama. He's a mama's boy. He's not going to tell you no. That he give me Abishag, the the Shunammite, to wife. And Bathsheba said, well, I will speak for thee unto the king. All right, so now he wants this woman that took care of David to be his wife. This is like drama central, by the way. All right, verse 19. Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on, and, and, and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. And she said, I desire one small petition of thee, I pray thee, say me not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on, my mother, for I will not say thee nay. So we already know what his answer is going to be, supposedly. And she said, Let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, thy brother, to wife. And King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is mine elder brother, even for him, and for Abathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me, and more also if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord liveth, which hath established me, and set me on the throne of David my father, and who hath made me in house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. What? This is so weird. He is having this crazy reaction because remember, Adonijah is like, Bathsheba, go in and say this for me. He's not going to tell you no. All right, Bathsheba. Okay, Solomon. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't tell me no. Okay, you can ask me your question and I'm not going to tell you no. All right, Abishag wants to marry, or Adonijah wants to marry Abishag. No, he's going to die. Okay, the only thing that makes sense to me here, Solomon loved Abishag. He loved her. Do you see it? He loved her. Adonijah knew Solomon loved Abishag. And he couldn't have the kingdom, but I want that woman that he loves. Do you see that? That's what I see. And so now Solomon is ticked. Heck no, because she is the focus of the Song of Solomon. That's her. Now, that's my opinion, but based on what I see within the context, that makes perfect sense to me. He loved her, and she was a woman that was far above all the other women that he married and that he slept with. I mean, he had a thousand. That's our next point here. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had a thousand women, seven hundred wives, and three hundred concubines, but only one possessed the qualities of the virtuous woman, and that was Abishag. That was her. I mean, think about that. I think about how she would have taken care of David in his final days, and how sweet she would have been to him. That would have taken a very selfless woman. And Solomon loved that about her. She was a hard worker. And she cared for his father like that. 
and he loved her. And Adonijah knew it, and he wanted her because he wanted to just dig in and deep. And so ironically, he had about a thousand wives, and ironically, in our case too, spiritually, devotionally speaking, only about one out of a thousand Christians will have this kind of intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's true. There are very few people that I know of in my life that have a very sweet, close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, I don't even believe that I do. I don't. I want to. I need to. I'm doing this study, and I'm like, oh, my word. I do not have a clue. But I know some people that have a very sweet personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It goes beyond their salvation. And it goes into the very fabric of who they are. And I want that. I do. And so that's something that we really need to consider. Your intimacy with Jesus Christ is the result of your choices each day. It is. You can be as close to him as what you as you want to be. It's not some magic formula or recipe. It's not like, you know, you've got to do these certain things in order to be close to God. No, no, no. That's not how it works. When you love him, you will make different choices and you will choose to be near him. And you will want to spend time with him. You will be obsessed with him. No one can make you do that. No one can give you the right answers about how to do that. That is something that is deep within your heart that you have to decide that you want. And you've got to want that more than anything else. You have to. All right, let's go back. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. So many things I could say about that, but that's what I wanted to say at this point in time. All right, chapter 1. Okay, we're going to keep, we're going to go through, and if we get through this first chapter, great. If not, then we'll just finish it out next week. All right, so the best way to look at this, if you guys just look at overall with your study sheet, you have... Uh, point two is the bride speaks to the bridegroom, verses two through seven. Uh, point number three, the bridegroom speaks to the bride, verses eight through 11. And then the bride speaks to the bridegroom. So as we talked about last week, this is like one flowing song, you know, and you have one person speaking to another and vice versa. And it kind of goes back and forth, back and forth. So that's how we're going to at least outline chapter one. So that way you can keep straight who's speaking to who and what's going on. All right. So we got verses two through seven. All right. So follow along. So the song of song, which is Solomon's, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black, but comely. O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? Okay, so the first thing that we have to call out here in verse 2 is this. When, he, when she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is sweeter than wine. So here's the first point here. Our intimate love, our intimate love 
favor, honor, compassion, and fellowship with Christ rejoices our heart above all else and affects everything about us. Everything. Now, when I use that word intimate, and and here's something that I need to say, because there are many people that um, go through the book of Song of Solomon or, um, you know, when we read certain things, like when you read phrases like in verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Or let me give you another one. Um, Let's see here in verse uh, 13. Look at verse 13. So this is her speaking again. And she says, A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. Okay? So I've got to talk about this straight out. All right? Here's the deal. We are perverted. We are. The way that we think about things is very perverted. And I'm telling you, this is something that the enemy wants to do in order to get you to think incorrectly about the scriptures. This is God's book. And what does God say in Proverbs verse 30? In verse 5 and 6? Every word is pure. Now, when we read stuff like that, you know what we think? We think of things that are inappropriate because of our culture, because of the movies and TV things that we see, because of the, the things that happen within our culture that either we have done or we see other people do. Our thinking has been perverted. And you have to know that right out of the gate. You have to. You have to. Otherwise, you're not going to see this properly, even as we continue through the rest of the book. So here's what I have to do, because my mind is perverted. When I read something like that, I have to stop myself and say, hold on a second. What's really going on here? Is it what I'm thinking? I mean, they are husband and wife, bride and groom. So there is that element, and there is a certain truth to that. But is that what's really going on here? In the Eastern cultures and in the Middle East, they kiss all the time. All the time. Even guys on the cheek is a greeting. I mean, that's why the Bible says in the New Testament, greet each other with a holy kiss. And so this thing that we don't do as Americans is something that really a lot of the world does. They're very close and they're very intimate with people and relationships. And so when it says here, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, what that is, is that is a symbol of love, honor, compassion, and just flat out liking somebody and being welcome. Whereas with us in our thinking, we go automatically perverted into something sexual. So you have to get that straight. Because that's something that she says here, and we got to think about it rightly. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Once again, we're perverted. When you think of wine, what do you think of? Alcohol. And you think of drunkenness. And did you know in the Bible that not every time wine is used, is it alcohol? Not every time. Look it up. Use the, the word wine, go into a concordance or go into a Bible app and search for the word wine, and you will find all over the place it could either mean alcohol, fermented grape juice, or grape juice. It's used interchangeably. It's based on the context. So in here, when you have him saying, let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. This is not talking about alcohol. This is talking about grape juice. One of the things that we need to understand is that grape juice back in their culture was super, super important. I mean, they had it at wedding feasts. uh, People that had money and had wealth, they had it uh, because it was the fruit of the vine. And so this is not something that is, is alcohol because you know that even from in the New Testament when they had weddings, weddings lasted like days. And they were constantly serving wine. So you really think 
that they're going to have a wedding bash that lasts like four to seven days and people are just hammered the whole time. I mean, no, it's, that doesn't make any sense at all. Within the Jewish culture, people that love God, worship God, and honor God. It makes zero sense. And in this relationship, do you really think that Solomon, who is a picture of Jesus Christ, is going to be giving fermented alcohol to the one that he loves? Do you really think he's going to be doing that? Because remember, he's a type of Jesus Christ. Absolutely not. So here, what she's saying here is that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what she's saying. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. You know, when I open up the scriptures and I read, and God touches me with something that I need or encourages my heart, that's like an embrace from God. That's like him kissing me that day and just lifting me up out of my, my poor attitude or my circumstances. I need stuff like that. You know, yesterday, I had a long day yesterday. And when I went home, there was one period where I was like, I just want to hug my wife. So I did because I needed to hug her. It was just something I needed in that moment. And it wasn't anything sexual. I just wanted to be close to my wife. I wanted to hug her, and I wanted her to hug me, and I just wanted to rest for a moment. That's what we mean here when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. She desires to be close to him and to be intimate with him, but not necessarily sexual, so get that out of your head. It's just to be near him and to be close to him and to be so close that he recognizes us and acknowledges us and kisses us in order to recognize our presence. That's what we're talking about here. So this isn't necessarily sexual, and I want to make sure to get that out of the way. Uh, and especially in verse 13, and we probably won't be able to get there this morning because I'm looking at the time. But when it says here that he shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. Now think about it in these terms. And this may sound stupid, but I think it'll make sense. I have breasts. I know. I'm sorry, Andy. <laughs> and think about this for a second. Last night, I put Lucy to bed. You know what I did? I held her right here. And she fell asleep. Well, last night she didn't, but she generally does. <laughs> I had to lay her down awake. But she falls asleep, and I'm telling you, it is so sweet. I love doing that with my kids. Can't do that with Lily anymore. Can't really do that with Lucas unless they're sick. But with Lucy is a little baby. I love it. And if I could do it, I would fall asleep there too and I'd lie there all night. But I can't because I won't sleep very good sitting in a rocking chair. <laughs> but that's what we mean here. That's the type of intimacy that we're talking about. So when she says that he shall lie all night betwixt my breast, that is not necessarily sexual either. It's talking about an embrace. It's talking about being close. I mean, I remember even as a kid, even when I got older, I loved laying on my mom. You know, I just did. And I remember even my kids now, like Lucas will lay on my chest and he'll hear my heartbeat. And like, whoa, dad, your heart is strong. And he'll say stuff like that all the time. But it's because he's close to me. And I'm telling you, that's what Jesus Christ wants with you. Is that he wants you to be so close to him that when you are that close, you can just hear his heartbeat. You can hear it and you can feel it. This is not something fake. Like, Christians, I can't stand fake Christians. I can't stand it. It makes me so mad because they say they love God, but they don't. They know nothing about God. You know when someone loves God. You can see by their life and the way that they act and the things that they do. 
because they start to look like Jesus Christ. And people that are that way, I am drawn to them because I'm drawn to Jesus Christ. Are you close enough to him that he embraces you and you hear his heartbeat and you get it? And you love to spend time with him. Because that's what she says here. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Verse 3. Verse 3. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. All right, so the name. The name. When you hear a name, you think of a reputation every time, no matter who it is. I mean, you can think of someone right now who has a terrible reputation at school or in your family. And when you hear that name, you think of X, Y, and Z and everything else. You think about them, you think about their actions, you think about the things they've done, the things that they've said. You are known by your name. People know you by your name. When, when people hear your name, what do they think of? And when it comes to the name of Solomon, when it comes to the name of Jesus Christ, it says, the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Now, ointments, what are ointments? What are they? Essential oils. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Essential oils. No. <laughs> I know, because we just, yeah, we just saw Tim Hawkins, yeah. Um, so funny. Yeah. Yes, and they're often scented, and they have an aroma. And people know that aroma. Generally, it's pleasant. It's not like Vicks, necessarily. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, all right. <laughs> not what I think of when I think of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, but it's a sweet aroma, but ointments were expensive. They were precious. They were valuable, and they did have healing properties. If any of you had, like, pink eye, or maybe you scratched the lens of your eye or done something like that, and you have to put gunk in your eye in order to clear up the gunk that's in your eye. It's terrible. I hate it. But think about it in those terms. In order for you to see clearly, you need to have ointment put into your eyes in order for you to see properly and to clear up the infection. That's why in Revelation chapter 3, we as Laodiceans, God tells us, Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So when it comes to Jesus Christ, his name and his reputation, when you get to know him in his name, which, by the way, Psalm 138, verse 2, what does it say? Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So the best way to get to know his name and what is associated with his name is by knowing the word of God. When you know the word of God and you begin to apply it to your life, it will heal you. Not just knowing the word of God will heal you, but knowing it and then doing it. Knowing it and then doing it. That's how it's supposed to work. If you have medicine, but then you never ingest it, it won't help you. It's not like you can take medicine and go like, help my headache, please, please. Or, you know, I'm having heartburn. You know, I mean, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. I mean, if you wanted it, that'd be a great skit, by the way. I mean, if we want to do something VBS-wise, that'd be a great skit. You can't do that. You have to internalize it because as it goes inside of your body and then it works through your whole system, it begins to help you. That's the whole point of, of medicine. Ointment is the same way. If you have ointment, unless you put it on, it won't work. So when it comes to Jesus Christ, unless you get to know him, get in his word, and get to know his heart, it will not work. You need to do what he's told you to do. Most of our problems is this. We don't do what he says. We just don't. 
We know it, but we don't do it. We don't. All right. And then I wanted to make one more point, uh, and then we'll end it with this, and we'll pick it up next week. So at the very end, it says, Therefore do the virgins love thee. Now, if you look at verse 4, verse 4, at the end of it, it says, The upright love thee. Now, let me tell you something. Somebody that is a virgin has something that's very, very precious. It's undefiled. It is without corruption. It is untainted. It is something very, very precious. If you have that, keep it. It is so precious. It is so important for you to keep that purity. Now, when it comes to this sense, virgins love Solomon because he is not a womanizer. He is not a whoremonger. He is not someone that takes advantage of women. That's why the virgins love him, because he keeps them pure. That's what he does. He values purity. And that's why it says the upright love thee at the end of verse 4. The virgins love thee and the upright love thee. The upright love upright things. Righteous people love righteous things. People that are sinners don't like righteousness. They don't. They just don't. They don't value that. Solomon, Jesus Christ, he values that. And that's something very important for you guys to understand. And so then you need to ask yourself, what do I value? What do I value? All right, we did not get very far at all, but that's okay because we really set the stage for it. So um, that really hits our next point of the righteous love Christ and, and he keeps them undefiled. So the name of Jesus Christ is undefiled, sweet-smelling, valuable, and it heals our infirmities. Oh, my goodness, some great verses there. And then we'll end with the righteous love Christ and he keeps them undefiled. And we'll pick it up with that third point under point number two. All right. So hopefully you guys really take this stuff to heart. No pun intended, but intended. Um, Chew on this stuff throughout the week. Think about it because there's so much that's here. If you want to be close to the Lord, please do this. Please. You will not regret it. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some discipline and some diligence. But it is so worth it. And it will change your whole perspective. And it will help you make better decisions. And it will just help you to reach people that you care for. It will help you with your future. It will help you with everything, literally everything you could possibly think of. Okay? All right, so we'll pick it up next week. God, thank you for our time this morning. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for how precious these things have been to my heart and the things that I know that I need to do differently this week. Um, I pray, God, that you'd be convicting us where we are and drawing us unto yourself, as you said that you would do. And um, as we continue this study, I pray, God, that you would bless us because of our willingness to hear what you have to say and do it. Thank you for loving us this way. Thank you for loving us. We don't deserve it. We just don't. But you have, and I'm so thankful for that. And I pray that you change our perspective this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.